Welcome to the CE Pro Podcast. I'm Executive Editor Arlen Schweiger. This week, we thought it would be timely to talk about building relationships between integrators and design professionals since the virtual kitchen and bath industry show is taking place next week. And who better to talk about design collaboration with than the Consumer Technology Association's 2021 Integrator of the Year, George Harrison, principal at Harrison Home Systems in Lakewood, Colorado. Harrison Home Systems recently completed an award-winning project called East Meets West, in which the company had to work very closely with the designer to incorporate the technology into a Japanese decor to be zen-like. George Harrison sat down with CE Pro's Jason Knott and stepped in through the project along with some advice on how integrators can forge these relationships. And you'll definitely want to see the master suite in this project and how they blended and hid six video displays. Let's kind of set the the stage here before we get into the discussion. Tell us a little bit about Harrison Home Systems. So we are, officially we started in 2000, incorporated in 2002. So uh, we like to say we're 18 years old, but um, we have really been focused as an AV integration firm um, really on audio and video and the, and really home technology. I, I kind of describe myself as a home technology company to those that don't understand what we do. A lot of uh, people will call us integrators. It just depends on where what your perspective and experience is. But, you know, we've been doing home technology for, you know, 20 years and I've been in the industry for 30 years. Um, and my wife joined me in 2004. So she's been with us for a long time as well. So we're a husband and wife team. Um, we're up to about 22 employees right now, and we focus on single-family luxury homes, and we also have a niche of luxury condos. And uh, yeah, so we those, those are really our two uh, really primary uh, parts of business. We don't really do a lot of commercial, so we've kind of grown slowly over the years. And right now, we're you know we're as big as we've been, and we're doing the biggest projects we've done. And so, you know, that kind of gives you a sense of who we are in the marketplace. I hope that is a good description. All right, let's talk about your involvement with the designers. What would you estimate the percentage of your pro- your projects involved where you're working with a designer? Well, when I first started out uh, 20 years ago, I would say it was there was very few. Um, as, our, as our company has grown and we've evolved, um, we've really taken the approach that we work with the design community a lot. So to answer your question, it used to be zero. Now I'd say it's 60 to 70%, if not maybe even a little more. We, you know, we're focused on single family luxury homes and uh, luxury condos. Those projects typically have a, a designer, an interior designer and a lighting designer, architect, obviously. So for us, it is, it is a significant amount of the projects that we work with. And so they're, and they're very valued partners of ours on our projects. So I thought one way that might be a a great way to step ourselves through how you've built these great relationships with designers is to talk about a particular project. And Harrison Home Systems last year did a project that they dubbed East Meets West that won numerous awards from from various um, um, entities. Tell us a little bit about that project briefly before, and then we'll dig into the design elements. Sure. Um, it is, uh, it was a, about a 13,000 square foot custom home in the, in the heart of Denver and the homeowners, um, it was a second home. And so the homeowners uh, had a primary residence in Las Vegas and had family 
in Denver and wanted to spend time with grandkids. And so they wanted a home that had all the bells and whistles of what they were accustomed to in their, in their larger, uh, you know, uh, technology focused home in Las Vegas and kind of replicate that with, um, you know, a very specific um, aesthetic to it that we'll, you can see in some of the pictures. And so they kind of wanted that home away from home, but they wanted to be able to control it from a distance. They wanted it to be easy to use across the different generations of uh, family members that would hang out there. Um, and it was very much a design focused home. Um, and it had, it had a lot of uh, lighting control, but a significant amount of um, automated shades. And so there were fabrics involved and ways to conceal that. And so um, there was other technologies we can talk about, but it had a little bit of everything. Um, and so it was, it was a great, it was a big project. It took a couple of years to, from design to finish. Um, and it really turned out really nice. Let's talk just briefly about some of the highlights. I know whole house, uh, some of the, the, the details that I've got it, 13 video zones, 18 audio zones, 18 surveillance cameras, a dedicated uh, Dolby Atmos theater, 110 floor to ceiling motorized shades, 169 lighting zones. So it's a big project. It was a big complicated project. It really pushed our team uh, to their limits, but it, but it really, it really kind of had everyone step up their game. It really was a great opportunity for everyone to demonstrate this, you know, the best of their best skill sets. And it really, it really came together well. And, and we've done a lot of uh, big projects before and complicated projects, but it was amazing how well this one, it was pretty seamless. We, you know, I think it's a testament to our team and, and how well they work together, but there was a lot of, a lot of technology. Um, and as it relates to, you know, the design aspect, boy, they really, they had technology in every room. And so we had to work diligently to integrate and sometimes conceal um, the collaboration requirements were very high and the architectural interior design team and the builder, I mean, it was just a really great team. We all had uh, worked with each other before. And so coincidentally, we, we had some familiarity. Um, and so it, it really was a, a big team effort. It was, it was pretty amazing. So one of the things that I, I noticed from reading about the project is the term Zen-like feel. And it had a, um, an Asian uh, decor, if, I, yes. if I'm correct. So what is that? What, how do you take all the technology we just listed off and give it a Zen-like feel? And how do you conceal those things? Well, that was the magic of the, the interior design team, Mandel Inc. out of Denver, just a really great group of people, really good at what they do. And they have a real focus on color specialization. I'm sure I'm describing or articulating that incorrectly, but nonetheless, they're really focused on color palette and what they did with the, you know, the, the transitional Japanese uh, aesthetic, it just turned out beautifully. And so there was a lot of, there was a lot of collaboration, I think, in the lighting and the, the, the lighting effects uh, in the theater itself. Um, there had to be a lot of collaboration because of the wall treatments and whether or not it was acoustically transparent and how that was going to affect the, uh, the sonic quality of, of the speakers. And so at, at so many levels, um, we had to, we really had to collaborate a lot. The master suite is out of this world. It's unlike anything we'd ever seen. So full of technology uh, behind the scenes and integrated in the mirrors, in the, you know, drop down uh, projector or drop, drop down television screen from the ceiling cloud over the bed. Just things that we hadn't done before that really pushed our limits. But it, what was in retrospect, it was exciting because I think everyone realized it was how special of a project was. And so I think the creative juices were really flowing, but the, the interior design team 
really went above and beyond and, and, and made it easier to, to integrate the technology. How did you, how did the meetings go? Were you meeting simultaneously with the client, with the designer, or did you meet one-on-one -on -one and then you got together and then you met together or was it all over the place? In terms it was of all over met? the place. There was yeah. a lot of meetings, but there was a lot of, um, a lot of details to work out on this project. And it, you know, so we, we spent a lot of time at the interior designer's office, um, a lot of time on site with the builder and we would, we would certainly, you know, have meetings at our offices as well. So a little bit of everything. I think that as design challenges came up along the way that triggered the, nece the necessity to have, you know, side conversations. And so we had a lot of meetings, but it was, I think it was warranted and justified. And, and in the end, it was, it was worth all the time we spent to do it. Was there any technology that, that didn't make the final cut because of the design concerns? Do you recall? You know, not, nothing that I can think of that got cut. I think the family was very familiar. This, again, this is a second home. They have a lot of technology where they are. So technology was a big part of their expectation. They love televisions and they put them everywhere. What was really unique was the great room where they had two side-by-side, -side, almost 90-inch TVs in the configuration that were prominently dis displayed. Now, I know that that would make most interior designers <laughs> want to faint. And we were able to work together to make something very unique, I think, work really well. So I, I was kind of proud of the ability to, yes, it was prominent. This is just that one room. Yes, it was prominent, but I think it was done in such a way that it was surrounded and balanced with, with the aesthetics and the rest of the room. So that was cool. The theater, I think, um, that was an area where the speakers were behind the materials. And so that, again, was a big topic of discussion. How were we going to approach it? The interior designer had a lot of experience with customers before. They had something in mind from the onset. So it was good. They established those ground rules and those expectations right away. So we knew where it made sense um, for technology to be prominent, and, and uh, we knew where it wasn't good. And that, that pattern repeated throughout the house. Again, in the master suite, if you bring that picture up, you know, that's one of the um, you know, the biggest technology integrations we've ever done in a master suite. And so it had stuff going on all over the place. And again, a lot of collaboration there as well. Let me talk specifically about the shades, floor to ceiling. Um, you know, one of the new trends is exposed roller shades. Others, they, they get hidden in soffits. What did you do? Um, what was the situation here in this home? So having uh, the, the homeowners having had shades before, they were adamant about concealing it. And so We've done it both ways, but in this case, it was the clearly the largest shade project we had done, but the effort in which the, the architect and the builder had to go through for us to have the shades integrated. Uh, in the master suite, for instance, the, the, uh, the roof line was angled. So they had to do horizontal shade pockets within an angled roof line. It was a massive undertaking. I mean, it was the most coordination we've had to do for shades. We have some pictures in our original um, award submittal that showed four-story. Um, uh, you know, what am I trying to say? The uh, <laughs> where you climb up really high <laughs> on the scaffolding. Uh, scaffolding. scaffolding. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I lost it for a second. Um, right. And there were scaffolding th throughout. It was such a challenge to get to some of these on the installation side of things. That was the part that kind of made me lose sleep at night because the, the, the walls were so tall and there was so much detail going up into those that 
Um, it, it was just a, a massive undertaking from a coordination perspective. The same thing in the master suite, they had double rollers everywhere. Um, and then also um, uh, dual rollers in, in most locations. And then they had sheer fabrics um, coming close, you know, uh, as well. So there was just so much um, integration. And if you have any pictures of that, you can, you can kind of see, um, you know, that was the biggest challenge. I mean, it was, it was the largest deployment we had done. Talk about when you were brought onto the project and how key it is for the designer to know to bring that integrator in early. You just mentioned what the builder had to do and the architect had to do just to accommodate the shades. Is it kind of the, I don't say the death knell for, for technology, but a real hindrance for technology to be brought onto the project late? Right. And so when I get on, got on in a large project, the first question I ask is are there any shade pockets that want to be concealed in the ceiling structure? If you if you get in early enough, architects can make accommodations for the framing in the ceiling structure, and that becomes um, a really big deal if you have floor to ceiling glass, which is a really common feature these days, especially in Colorado. And so, if you don't get in early enough to have those discussions, a lot of times automated shades become an afterthought. And then they have to do soffits and it, it takes away from the, the view and it affects the way in which you can mount things to the ceiling. And, and so the, the later we, you know, a technology um, integration firm is brought in, I think the more risk there is for the, for the homeowner to not get what they really want. And so that's usually the thing that I raise my hand about when I even hear about a project is think about, you know, the light in the room and, whether or not you can put shades in the ceiling or on the wall. And you have to think about those. And architects are very appreciative, I think, when they hadn't thought about that. Um, and that's something that interior designers are in tune with because shades can be in their realm sometimes as well. So I think the, you know, the thing that we tell our design community friends is the sooner the better, at least have the discussion whether or not you know if you're going to use this or not. At least let us ask you our checklist of questions to make sure that there aren't any, you know, really, um, consequential decisions being made right on. So one of the trends that's, that's happening in the integration industry and also in the design industry is wellness. And you just mentioned we had a discussion about lighting and shades and the control of natural light as well as human-centric light with, with color temperature and, and those sorts of things. Was that an element of this project? And it, even if it, was, if it wasn't, how, how um, much more... <laughs> How big of a trend has that become for you? Right. So this project was just barely too late for us to really talk about um, human-centric lighting and tunable light, but it has become a big topic for us. Um, products out there like Ketra and other similar um, products are really becoming a big discussion point with a lot of our uh, clients and interior designers and architects. And so there's, there's finally, I think, some critical mass. There's been enough press about it that it's no longer uh, as exotic as it might have been before. And health and wellness in general, that's one, that's one aspect of it is the lighting, but there's indoor air quality and water quality. Um, and these are things that have been available on their own for a long time. What I think, I think the value that a technology integration firm brings to this new discussion is the, the ability to to bring it into, again, a single control system and present it holistically, not just 
walk over and you know adjust your light and you know go to the other room and adjust your air quality once you can bring that in and and apply all of those technologies as a system and present that to a homeowner um, I think that's where I this will really pick up a, a lot of momentum even in the mid-market is that ability to demonstrate what's happening in real time and be able to bring all that together in one uh, you know one control system or one app and I don't think that's going away I, again I think that that is something that we were on the Delos is a, is a manufacturer, you know, a partner of ours. We had gone out a couple of years ago to get certified to understand this new, this new trend. And I think the, the pandemic has, has obviously been a catalyst. But again, I think this is another technology or group of technologies that won't be going away. I think it will become part of the normal design consideration moving forward. So for designers who are having discussions with their clients about wellness, it's important for them to know that the integrator can be a key contributor to a wellness solution using the technology. I do. I think that it's our challenge to get to know the technologies and they are still evolving. Um, and for us to help pick out the best in class um, I think it's, it's on us to identify those products that are interoperable, that can work together. I think that's important. Um, one, one thing that we found out quickly is the, the relevance of the well building certification. And that's something that's, that's really new. But I think one analogy to make for those that are familiar with LEED accredi you know, accreditation, um, what we're seeing is the well standard, although it's still new, will become, I think, the dominant uh, certification in buildings moving forward. It's slowly making its way into the residential world. It's already a standard in the um, commercial world. But I think LEED really speaks to the structure and the materials that are building the structure, whereas well really talks about and cares for the individuals within the structure. And so I think there's a, um, a transition taking place now that the really cutting edge developers, because we, we work in a lot of condo projects as well, and we're very lucky enough to have two projects that are well certified that the, the, the more progressive developers are going for the well standard. Again, that's just another thing that, another nod towards what I think the, the future holds in, in the design world. How much does a designer need to know about technology? Is it just a little, and then they really need to rely and form that strong partnership with an integration company, or do they need to be really super educated on this, uh, on all the technology options with their customer. Where do you think that line falls? I think as we move forward, it will become more relevant. I think that obviously the more you know, the better, but we can only specialize. We only have so much bandwidth. Um, if, if you are a, a, tech, a technophobish interior designer, it's probably good to meet and get to know the integrator community and find out who might be a good fit to partner with on projects. I think that's a really good idea. It's hard enough to, for us to keep up with technology and we live and breathe it. Um, it's really hard to expect other trades to be as cognizant and to keep up. So that's where I, I'm a real big uh, fan of partnerships and collaborations. And so if you can't uh, spend your time knowing it, then find someone who can and, and, and can uh, collaborate with them. So one of the other big questions that I've gotten from designers in the past is budget. 
Um, you know, let's talk maybe a little bit about the East meets West and, and, and maybe is there a way to break it down? Is there a, is there an infrastructure budget that's a base element? There's is that engine in the car that you, you've got to put, yes. have this in, and then there's an amenity budget. Right. So I think that it's hard to really budget for luxury technology. Um, and I, and I, I hate to say it that way. It's so personal and there are so many different systems and subsystems you can use that it's really hard to know. And that's why our, our industry is called the custom electronics design installation. So the, that aspect of it, it really is personal, it's situational. It's hard to really put a, a price per square foot on technology because there's so many different types of technology, that discussion's hard. On the infrastructure side, I think it's a much more quantifiable um, you know, quantity. And I think that what we tell our clients is anywhere between a dollar and $2 a square foot on the high end, is what we are seeing pretty typically for infrastructure. Infrastructure is not as um, varied as it used to be 20 years ago, where you had all these specialized cables. A lot of technology is speaker wire, category wire, which is data cable, which is only pennies a square foot, um, and then a few other types of wires. And so the infrastructure cost has come down and everything has kind of become predicated on that data cabling. So that's what's reduced the actual cost of infrastructure. But that, that dollar to $2 a square foot, we found is typically sufficient. And then with that infrastructure in place, um, you're, you can usually do a good, better, and a best technology system. But they'll, they'll all work with that one common infrastructure. There's exceptions to every rule, but I think that's a good... Uh, infrastructure budget discussion, but then the sky's the limit on how much you want to spend on speakers and TVs and, and stuff. And so that's, that's harder to put a number on, but get, you know, good uh, infrastructure in there, then you've bought yourself time and you've opened up a lot more possibilities to do different things with technology later. All right. That's great advice. Um, how should designers look to meet integrators and form these partnerships? So there's a number of um, organizations out there. Cedia is obviously one. So you can go to Cedia's website and try and find an integrator. We are also um, HTA certified. Um, and so there's a, there's a new organization called HTA that is a really um, vetted group of higher end, very capable um, uh, integrators. And that's another network. So HTA uh, is another great place to look. Um, I'm also part of a wonderful buying group called HTSA, the Home Technology Specialist of America. So those are three organizations where you can find uh, integrators in your area that typically are above the mark um, in the marketplace that, that care about certifications and training. Um, and so between those three organizations, uh, you should be able to find somebody or a whole group of people that, that are capable uh, and, and vetted. And then on the flip side, integrators like you are members of ASID and other design associations. So you're, you're out there proactively looking to form those relationships. That is correct. And so yeah. again, we're ASID members. Um, we have one of our, one of our team members was on the board of ASID locally for a long time. We've um, you know, we're going to be doing once, once events are allowed to happen again, we'll be doing ASID events at our um, you know, at our new uh, offices and showroom and we really, um, you know, we have great relationships with our interior designers. And so we sometimes can bring them business and they can bring us business, but we like to stay up on trends and understand what people are looking for so we can accommodate 
um, you know, the things that we're going to encounter on the typical projects we do. Um, one last thing, George, uh, is there anything that, um, that a designer shouldn't do when he's working with an integrator? So, you know, make, for example, try and make it a, a technology versus granite countertops conversation or, or try and, you know, limit the exposure or the access of the integrator directly to the client. You know, what are some, what's some advice that you've had over the years that, you know, this is just not a good thing for a designer to do when they're trying to work with an integrator. Yeah, I think that two, the, the two points you just made are, are important. What we have found is that working through a middle person tends to not provide that flow of information that I think it's very nuanced. I think what we do interior design and, and, you know, luxury technology, I think that communication is, is key. I think it's important that you know, we, we've seen projects where the architect is driving the project. Uh, others where the interior designer absolutely driving the project. I think you have to identify um, who has the who has the ear of the client and and how that person, that gatekeeper, likes to communicate. Um, I think that you you should have a really good set of questions, um, really good sense of where technology uh, kind of lives on a scale of one to ten on your client and. And try to, you know, ask a lot of questions up front. That's really what it comes down to. But how to, it's situational. So I don't know um, if there's any one or two things that I would that I would say I've I've seen or patterns that my interior designer partners um, have caused inadvertent, you know, lack of you know flow of information. But I think that getting someone you're comfortable with and therefore aren't concerned about directing the conversation. I just think find someone you can trust, find someone you're comfortable with, get to know them, get to know what they need. And they're a better um, conveyor of your information to the client. If that client is, is guarded or doesn't want to deal with the third parties. Again, it's just, it's really about over communicating. Mm -hmm.